we are in week three of a series that we are calling Overwhelmed. We're talking about the things in life that overwhelm us, uh, things like anxiety and things like fear. We're going to talk about this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about what to do when you've been hurt by somebody or some situation and you don't know how to get over it. We're going to talk about that. My friend Scott Jones will be here um, helping with that next Sunday. I'll be here as well. Um, but we're, we're so glad that you decided to join us today. And if you're a, a guest, uh, I'm doubly glad that you decided to join us. Now, I want you to know there's always people here because I, I, you, you talk to me and I, I, I love it. There's always people that are here and you're not quite sure what you think about all this God stuff. I love that you are here and I love that you are seeking. And I want to just encourage you if that's, if that's you uh, with some of the words of Jesus, Jesus said that one of the ways we find out what's true is he used this little phrase that we ask, we seek, and we knock. In other words, you ask questions. What about this? What about that? We're never afraid of questions around here because uh, if anything's true, it can always stand up to questions. So we're never afraid of questions. So I'd encourage you to keep asking questions, to keep seeking what's true and what's right and what's good. Uh, and to keep knocking on all the doors and windows until you discover what Jesus said, and then the door will be open to you. <laughs> so many people in this room have found that the door that we thought was locked between us and God has been opened. And uh, that's our, our desire for you to, to be on that journey. But we love that you're here and you're on that journey. So welcome. We always read a passage of scripture. I'm going to read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. I'd invite you to stand with me if you would. That's our practice. We do that out of uh, respect for God's word. And, and uh, I'll read it aloud. If you have a Bible... I would invite you to open it there or, or the YouVersion app. You can open it and leave it on this passage. We'll be looking at it together this morning, and I'll read this aloud from the letter that John wrote from the city of Ephesus. Here's what he said. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out, what's the word? Fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, fear is not something I really have to explain to you uh, because it's so incredibly pervasive. Everybody that you know struggles at one point or another with fear. Uh, fear is universal. I've been uh, in multiple places around the world and lived in other places around the world and everywhere that I've ever been, uh, every part of the country I've ever been, there are always people who struggle with fear. When I, uh, in the, I think it was 1997, my wife and I went on a trip to uh, Brazil, to Fortaleza, Brazil. And in Brazil, I'm saying it like that because it's fun to say, and Kaleji's over here, and she's from Brazil, and she knows that's how you say it. And, and in Brazil, they speak Portuguese, and, uh, and it's a beautiful language to listen to. I, I would ask people to just talk, because it's so beautiful to listen to. And we went there to help a, a pastor and his wife who lived in a house. Behind their house, we're building a church building, and they didn't have the resources to do that. And as part of our network of churches, the Church of the Nazarene, we went and helped them uh, begin to build a building. And so for a week, we hauled bricks and mixed concrete. And I was doing that, I was in the middle of that, and some of these guys from Brazil were there, and I was going over to a brick pile, and I was getting ready to reach my hand down there, and they said to me, the, the Portuguese word for no. Now, it's beautiful, I love it, it just sounds like our word no, but it's no. It's, it sounds like now, but it's not now, it's not, it's no, you have to say it through your nose, so just say that with me, say no, no, 
right? You no. And you do like this, no. And, and I'm reaching down for the bricks, and I hear these guys go, no, no. And I'm like, I look up, and I'm like, what? I didn't, they said a bunch of words in Portuguese that I didn't understand, which included the word cobra. And I went, oh, okay, ha, back away. Back away from that, yes, okay. And they made the mark on their eyes like, you don't touch, that, that, that's bad, right? They were afraid. Uh, growing up, uh, in, in when I lived as a young kid uh, in, in Africa, we lived in the country of what is now Zimbabwe, in um, the heart of the central part of Africa. And now, uh, then it was known as Rhodesia, and there was a civil war that was going on, and my, my parents and I went to visit a missionary and their family. Uh, they, they worked uh, at a retreat center for people to come and have a, a spiritual retreat. And, and the, the husband of that couple was a, a pilot, and he said, hey, would you guys like to go up in my, uh, my, my seat? They have one of those little seaplanes. I don't know the name for it, but it's the plane with the little float pod thingies on it. Let's just call it that. The plane with the float pod thingies on it, right? You can get in. Little plane that seated, I think, four or five people. And he got in it. My dad got in it. I got in it. We took off uh, on the lake and flew up. And as we're flying up, he points out, he looks out the window, and he says, do you see that hill right down there? Yes, yes, I see the hill. As a five-year-old, I saw the hill down there. They have guns trained on us right now, and if we go too far, they will shoot us out of the sky. Ha <laughs> Fun. Uh, fear, right? Fear. Uh, I've been to, uh, to Juarez, Mexico, and taken teenagers across the border from El Paso into Juarez, Mexico, now a, a big part of the drug trade. Uh, w- when I did that a number of years ago, a couple decades ago, uh, they told us, that the, the locals said, listen, now you don't go anywhere by yourself because bad things can happen to you. I've discovered that fear is universal. A friend of mine who's a pastor took a survey of some people in his church, had 2,400 people take the survey, and it was about fear and found out that 85% of the people who took the survey said they lived with moderate or significant levels of fear all the time. Now, if you and I were to sit down over coffee and we were to have a conversation and we were to talk about fear and you were to tell me what you were afraid of, you would tell me all kinds of things. You might say you're afraid of dogs or you're afraid of heights. The number one fear is speaking in public. Uh, you, you might be afraid of that. You, you might be afraid of crowds. The, the fear you have might be more intimate, more personal. You might be a, afraid that you're not going to be able to hold your relationship together. Maybe you're afraid that no one will ever love you. I don't know what the fear would be for you, but what I would try to reassure you with is, listen, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't have a case of the uniques that no one else has. Fear is the common denominator of human beings. And fear comes from all kinds of places. Probably the number one way that we are being polarized today is people who know what they're doing, are using fear as a way to polarize. Because there's no better way to galvanize a group of people to say, we're us, and to paint a picture of them, and paint all the terrible things that they are going to do to us, and list uh, how you need to protect what you have, and protect your rights, and protect your ability to do whatever this thing is over here, so you can be a part of us. And people are using that as a weapon to... Get people to agree with them. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you're paying attention when people use the, the, the weapon of fear and they weaponize fear and they, they use the politics of fear. I hope you're aware of that and you don't buy into that. But it's a, 
it's a powerful way to galvanize people to use fear. And then there are in our world so many occasions for fear. They have what's called the nuclear clock. And that's a, a, a metaphorical clock that they say uh, when it gets to midnight, that's when we have a nuclear war. And it, it is only, I think, two or three minutes, metaphorically speaking, from midnight, they say. And it's the, the closest we've been to midnight in many decades. I mean, the fact that our world could be obliterated with a couple pushes of the button. That's an occasion for fear. The financial meltdown that happened in uh, a, a decade or so ago is still looms for some people, and they've never made it out of it. And they, it's an occasion for fear, and terrorism is a, an occasion for fear. The shooting that happened last week in Florida was an occasion for fear. Our students go to school, and their experience as a generation is school's a place that something bad, terribly bad, could happen. The Portage Township schools had a, a lockdown because there was someone that had a BB gun, and they, the Portage police handled it really well. And, uh, but we came home, and we talked to our kids about that after, and uh, we're, we're describing, you know, what you want, we want you to do if something like that happens, and they told us about the drills that they go through. And my wife was saying to my oldest son, now, if that ever happens, I want you to run, right? What any parent would say to that, I want you to hide. And uh, he said, seventh grade, I'm not going to, listen, listen. <laughs> This is what our, our kids, all of our kids are facing, the world they're facing of fear. I'm not going to hide, Mom. I'm not going to run. I'm going to go after that person because at least I could die with dignity. Right? I, that's, that's the kind of world of, that our kids have to face. A world full of fear, politics of fear. Racism is based on fear. Class is based on fear. I've, I've lived and uh, worked in both sides of class in America, blue collar, white collar. And I will tell you that there is a fear of the other in both directions. I've, no, I've watched it. I'm like, no, no, they, we're all the same. But it's fear. It's fear that gets perpetuated. And, and not all fear is bad, right? I mean, we understand that. We understand that some fears are important. They keep us safe. When you're teaching your kids to, to walk and you're in a parking lot, Look out for cars. Cars will kill you, right? You're putting a healthy fear. When I teach my sons about all the tools I have in the garage, that I, I say to them, literally, now you need to be afraid of what this tool can do to you. And that fear is actually a gift from God in that way, and it protects us. We're not talking about, this morning, we're not talking about that kind of fear. This is not what John is writing about in his letter saying that's the kind of fear. He's talking about a different kind of fear. He's kind of talking about the kind of fear that becomes walls. Because here's what happens for many of us. Fears become for us a very real uh, a wall. It's, it's an emotional wall, but it's something that we can't get past. And when we get into that emotional wall, here's what happens to us. We step inside of a box, and then our life, the more we pay attention to the walls, the fears that we have, the more we see that it's a box. And what, here's my experience with fear and working with myself and with people is that most often when you're inside the box of fear where the walls are around you and you feel like they're closing in, most of the time you look at the, you look at the walls, right? You rarely ever look in front of you and what's out ahead of you. You might turn and look at what's behind you and go, oh, that was terrible. And so what happens is you stay inside of the box. In fact, when we talk about someone who has a comfort zone, you know what that person has done? They've found the place that's comfortable to them. Their walls have become a place that is a place of safety for them. And the walls are their fears. 
and you get into your comfort zone like I can get into my comfort zone. And what, you know what happens when you get in your comfort zone? You look around the box, and then you start to go, you know what, we could put a TV in here. It'd be really nice right here, and we could put a Lazy Boy right over here. This would be great. We could put a little mini fridge in here. And people stay in their comfort zone. And their comfort zone is defined by their fears. And so they stay, this is what we're talking about this morning, they stay in their fears instead of stepping through them. We're going to talk this morning about stepping through your fears. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, uh, which is the story of God's people, the people of Israel. Uh, There's 12 spies that Moses, the leader of God's people, sends out. And they're going into what God has said is the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, lots of cattle, lots of agriculture. It's beautiful. It's plentiful. There's enough. And God says, I'm going to give you this land. And they go, and Moses says, I want you to go into the land. These spies, these 12 spies, see what's there. The 12 spies all come back. In fact, uh, Numbers says that uh, they came back carrying a bunch of grapes that was so big, they had to put it on a pole in between two men and carry it back. And And they said, this is the fruit of this land. This is an abundant land. What a great thing God has given to us to to have. But 10 of the spies said, now I know you see all the wonderful things that you could have, but we can't do it. You know why? They only saw the fear. It's too big. We can't break out of the walls. It's too much for us. We can't do it. But there were two spies, Joshua and Caleb, and Joshua and Caleb, and this is what I hope you can get to this morning, Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 I know that they're big, but God's promised it to us, and we can do it. This is what he says in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. I'll read it to you. This is my goal. I hope you can get to this. You could say this about your fear. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, I'm going in. I'm going in. So John writes this letter we have in the, the book of what we know as 1 John. First, he wrote 1, 2, and 3 John. He wrote Matthew, uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels that record the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the, the biography of Jesus' life. Uh, John wrote that last one, the book of John. John also wrote what we have as the very last book of the Bible we're going to study this summer, uh, the book of Revelation about what's going to happen in the end and how we live in the present moment as, as a result of that. And, and John, in, in this letter, in 1 John, he gives these categories and he uh, says that the goal of the life of faith is to become the last category. And he says there, the categories are you can be a little child. We talked a little bit about that last week, being an emotional child. Um, you can be a young man or a young woman. Uh, you know, you're on your way, but you're growing a little bit. But the goal is that you would become what he calls a father or a mother. In other words, he's saying the whole book of 1 John is written so that we could grow up. In fact, when he talks about perfect love, the word for perfect there is a word that means fully complete or mature, you might say. So the context for him writing this letter is he's saying, listen, the goal is that you would move from being a little child in your emotions and in your responses to being a fully grown adult who's mature in their understanding and practice of love. Now, I don't know what you think when you read that passage. When I initially read that passage, it honestly sounded uh, a little bit 
too good to be true. Almost like John was saying, listen, guys, I know you're struggling with fear, and you just need to stop struggling with fear, and you just need to love some more and have more love, and it'll all be fine. And many people think the Bible is like that. They think the Bible is a bunch of trite phrases for complex problems. And so they, they think, okay, well, well, faith means I have to, I guess, believe in trite phrases, I guess. I, I know I have complex problems, but I guess, I, I guess that's what it means. And I see some other people saying that that's what faith is, and they post things on Facebook, and they have memes on Instagram, and I guess that's what you're supposed to do. And so I guess I'll try that. And so... They know, though, they have complex problems, and so they try to apply trite phrases to their complex problems, and they they realize that they don't work, but someone tells them they're supposed to try a little harder, or they're supposed to pray a little bit more, or have a little bit more faith, and they try it again, and it still doesn't work because trite phrases don't solve complex problems, and they try it again, and then they try it again, and then finally they say, listen, in their own honest heart of hearts, listen, this trite phrase is not solving this complex problem, so I guess I have to abandon faith. Well, what they were actually doing, and if you've ever done that, congratulations to you because what you abandoned was false faith. You didn't abandon real faith. You just realized what we all know is that trite phrases don't solve complex problems. And John is telling us there's a complex problem, but he's also telling us that there's a kind of faith that can address the complex problem. And I want to show you what he's talking about. The context for what John is talking about is what we call the gospel, the good news, the message about Jesus, and the, the gospel is Jesus, and, and, and John's writing of it, he says an aspect that we're all going to face is we're going to face the day of judgment. Now, that's probably the worst thing that you could ever do in America. It's the worst sin you can commit is to judge someone. So when we hear that God's going to judge people, we go, wait, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean God's going to judge something? Well, the day of judgment, the Bible says, is coming, and that is when God is going to take everything that is terribly wrong in the world, and he's going to make it right. I don't know about you, but if you're a parent and your kid is struggling with things that are wrong and you don't step in at some point and make them right, you're not a good parent, right? You're not loving your children. This is what, this is what the Bible means when it talks about judgment. It's an act of God's love to take the things that are wrong in the world and make them right. So if I were to take you to Bangladesh today or I would take you to India or to Laos or one of the places where you can go and you can buy a little child and do what you want with them, in the end, God is going to make those people pay. For the countries who abuse human rights and, and stamp their foot on their people and kill their own people, God's going to make that right. For the violence in our world that just is an unending cycle that we can't seem to get out of and we try to solve violence with more violence, God's going to make that right and he's going to bring peace. He's going to judge the world. And that's actually a very, very good thing. I, wouldn't wanna, I, I hope you wouldn't want to serve a God who wouldn't, in the end, make it all right. That means because God's going to make it right, I don't have to waste my energy trying to get revenge on people because God's going to take care of that. And this is, this is an act of love on God's part. And, and here's what John is saying. He's saying, listen, if you don't get right with God, then when the day of judgment comes, you get swept up in the judgment because you were part of the problem. But what the beautiful message of the gospel is that enter Jesus, that on the cross, 
Jesus takes the judgment of God. He, it's an act of justice and it's an act of mercy. And so Jesus absorbs from the past and the present and the future all the acts of injustice on himself and says, now you can receive the benefits of that, just, that injustice being paid for and I'm going to give you the benefits of what I've done on the cross for you. And he, he gives us his righteousness. Like the Martin Luther in the 1500s, he said what God gives us is an alien righteousness, not the kind of with Sigourney Weaver in the movie where something explodes out of your chest, right? Not, not that kind of alien. But an a, a, a righteousness that's not from us because we're not, we're not doing it right. We're part of the problem more often than not. And so what happens to us when we realize that the judgment of God has fallen on Jesus and not us, that gives us an incredible confidence. So I know my past is no longer held against me. And I have confidence that my future is secure. I'm not worried about that in the end, maybe I'll get swept up in the judgment. And then what happens in the present moment is my values are changed so that I live like Jesus in this world. This is what John means in verse 16 when he says, whoever lives in love lives in God, for God is love. The person living in love, they, they understand all of that I just said to you. And so you then have an active daily relationship with God, and you live now in God's love. It's like the tree of the future has fruit on it, and you're able to pluck the, tree, the fruit from the tree of the future and eat it in the present moment. And you have it, what, what Paul says in one of his other letters, you have, as that as a, uh, you have it as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. And so then you can live in God's love, John says. And you can grow into God's love. And when, as you grow into God's love, it drives out the fears. He's talking about a process. He's not talking about a trite phrase to solve a complex problem. He's talking about that the love of God displaces the fear of the world and the fear of our own hearts. And as we receive the love of God, it pushes out the fear. And anytime we go and we are afraid, we go back to the love of God. And we go back to what Jesus has done for us. And we say, oh, I received that again. I'm going to let that displace the fear that's growing in my heart. I don't know what to say to that person. I'm scared of that situation. I don't, I don't know how to respond to them. But I need the love of God in my heart. Here's the option if not. Our life is defined by our fears. And we stay in our fear instead of stepping through it. John says you can step through your fear. Now, let me tell you two things that you can take and put into practice this week. So when you're afraid, when that fear comes up again, when it's overwhelming again, that you know what to do and you can say, okay, I'm not going to stay in my fear. I'm going to step through my fear. I'm going through to the other side. I'm not going to live there anymore. You can do these two things and they can begin to help you with that process of living in God's love for you. Here's the very first thing, okay? Maybe you want to write this down is you need to develop a practice that enables you to receive the love of God. Let me say that to you again. You need to develop a practice that enables you to receive the love of God. If love is what drives out fear, then you have to find a way to let God's love in. Let me give you, let me give you three simple ways you can do that. One, and... and this is for anybody at any level of spiritual growth and maturity, is that you need to meditate on the cross. 
Do you know what the word meditate means? The word meditate means uh, to ruminate on, to, to think on. It comes from uh, the word when you see a cow chewing its cud. I don't know if you've ever observed a cow chewing its cud, but it's not like my, my kids tell me that I eat way too fast, and I do eat way too fast. They'll look over and go, wow, Dad, that's gone already. Uh, they're not talking about that, right? We kind of gulp things down. They're ta- a cow just chews and chews and chews and chews and chews. And, and that does some of the work of digestion before it even gets to their stomach because they're, they're chewing on it. It means that you chew on the reality that Jesus put himself on the cross for you. And you think about, now what was that for? Who was the cross for? Well, it was for me. And was Jesus guilty? No, Jesus wasn't guilty. Jesus was the innocent one who laid himself of his own accord on the cross for me, the guilty one. I guess it would have been me. I, if I'm honest with myself, then huh? I, I think I deserve the punishment. Of what, but Jesus took that for me? And Jesus sacrificed himself for me? And, and he knew what was coming. He knew how painful it was because it was a common thing in that day and that people would be crucified and he knew what that would be like and he did that for me? And as you meditate on that, you go, wow, God loves me. One person said it this way. He said, if you were the only person in the world, Christ would have still died for you. For me? I mean, your, your value quotient, your, your uh, appreciation of yourself goes up because you say, oh, wow, I'm more valuable than I thought. And the love of God begins to come in and begins to drive out the fear. A second way you can do that is you could do what we do around here, and we'll, we'll do it here again today, is you can do this little palms up thing. We do this as a way, because you can pray, I hope you know, not just with your words, but with your thoughts and with your body. And so what we do is we, we in a way, we hold our hands like this and it's an act of receiving, and you could every morning get up and say, sit there in the quiet for three minutes and close your eyes and put your hands out like this and say, God, I receive from you your love for me that you offered on the cross on my behalf, and I am now your beloved son and daughter. Help me to understand that. You do that for the next seven days, and then you do that uh, for the next seven days in the morning and do it. Stop at lunchtime and do it again. And stop before you go to bed, do it again. God, I, I need to know that you love me. I need to receive the love that you have for me. And you'll find that the love of God comes in and begins to displace the fear in your heart. A third way you could do that is just have a song. We, we did this, asked you to do this a couple weeks ago. You could go get our Spotify channel, search for Real Life Community Church, and you might find a great song. He's a good, one of my favorites is a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are. And I'm loved by you. And one of those songs comes in and you feel the love of God displacing the fear. That's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to develop a practice that enables me to receive the love of God. Now you need to know that we love because God first loved us, John says in verse 19 a little bit later. You meditate on the first love of God for you. Your love for God is not something you work up. It's a response to what God already did for you. God's the one who sent you the note in seventh hour English class with the line that said, check the box, do you like me or not? (laughs) He's the one who started this thing, not you. And so you're just responding to the already love of God for you. You've got to develop a practice. Second thing is this, is you've got to learn to give the love of God away to the people around you. This is how John writes it in verse 20. He says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, how many people do you know like that? 
He is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let me, let me say it to you like this. The love, when you understand that the love of God is for you, the way you demonstrate love back to God is to, is to love the people around you. There's a vertical dimension where you have a connection to God, and it's always meant to translate into a horizontal dimension where you love other people. See, many people think faith is this private thing. It's this private thing between me and God, and I can do it alone in my room. No, no, no. Faith is a public thing where you express the love that God has put into you to other people. And this could be your prayer. Lord, love this person through me because, here's here's what I mean. This is what Jesus said. What credit to you is it if you love the people who love you, Jesus said. Don't even the tax collectors, don't don't even the Democrats love the Democrats? Don't even the Republicans love the Republicans? So, Love the people that don't love you, and that's the expression of love. So now, I guarantee you, and we're going to do a little prayer exercise here in a second. In your mind, there, in your week, in your world, there are the faces of some people that you say, I do not want to love them, and I'm not going to. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot make me. (laughs) Those are the people that God has sent you to love the most. Man, I got to tell you, it's so easy when my kids come up and they hug me and they jump in my lap and they give me kisses and they ask to wrestle. It's so easy to love them back. That, that takes nothing from me. But when someone is harsh or critical, that's different. And so you've got you've to learn, though, to give the love of God that's been given to you away to the people around you, the people that you think least deserve it. Because, see, that's how Christ loved you. And here's what happens. As you do that, you don't stay in your, you don't stay inside your walls anymore, right? You step through the walls of fear and you receive the love of God and then you're moving that love toward other people. And guess what? It displaces the fear in a process and enables you to receive the love of God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, ask us to do a, a very simple, we're going to practice both of these things so you can know how to do them this week. And then uh, one of my friends is here, Josh Folkerts from World Vision, and he's going to give you a way that you could step through the fear and begin to express God's love for other people. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do, okay? Would you, uh, if you're comfortable with this, just have your own personal moment here. You can close your eyes, and um, you can, uh, no one's looking at you. This is your moment. And you can do what we were just talking about a minute ago. You can hold your hands up. And as you hold your hands up, I want you to just tell God that, you need love. Now, this may be the first time for you that you've said, I need the love of God in my life. I'm a spiritual person, but I didn't know I could experience it personally. And this would be a moment when you would say some prayer like this. Say, God, I need your love in my life. I see it now. And so I invite it in. I invite you to drive out the fear. And I don't maybe understand everything that happened on the cross, but I somehow see that it was for me and so I want to learn to live in your love and so here I give you my life right now and for everyone in the room and and that's you you're you're beginning a relationship with God you're beginning the process of following Jesus you're becoming a Christian in that moment a Christ follower and then for everyone in the room if, if you would hold your hands out just tell God I receive your love for me 
I receive the fact that I'm the dearly loved son you've always wanted. I'm the beloved daughter that you've always hoped for. I, need to, I don't understand that, God, but I need to receive that. I take it that you, that you tell me the truth when you say that's the truth about me. So I receive the love of God. And now as you think about giving the love of God away, I want you to picture that person or those persons in your world that you know are difficult to love. And I want you to just say this simple prayer. God, love that person through me. God, show that person kindness through me. God, show that person respect through me. God, help me to get past my own fears about how that person will respond and show them love. Help me to do that in your name. And so we know and we rely on the love that you have for us, God. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross as we think about and meditate on the fact that you offered yourself for us, an act of justice and an act of mercy. I pray that your love would pour into our hearts and would displace the fear as we, we don't stay in it, we step through it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, hey, I want you to uh, give Josh Fogarts a, a, a welcome for just a moment and let him know. You love him. Well, it is my honor to be here this morning and invite you all into a practical way of receiving God's love and belief and confidence in you and then extending that to people all over the world. And that's by running the Chicago Marathon for Clean Water Projects in Africa. Wow, that's like the first time I've gotten an applause right away. Usually, it's fear that sets in. And everybody steps back into that box, runs into it, and says, that's the only running I'm going to do. But I'm encouraging you guys to step through that. We believe at Team World Vision that some of the best things God has in store for us are on the other side of fear. And we need to step through those or maybe even run through those to get to it. But before I get to the invitation, I want to just thank so many of you that have said yes in the past. Uh, Real Life has been an unbelievable supporter of World Vision through sponsoring kids, running for clean water. Uh, in fact, over the past four years, you have brought clean water to 6,000 children in Africa. Yeah, that's incredible. Way to go. One of those is my sponsor kid, Grace. I got to know her about three years ago in Belisa, Uganda. And uh, as we were talking that first time, I found out her walk for water was eight miles, and she would have to do that multiple times a day. Wasn't able to go to school because of all the time that was spent on this. And as we were talking, she told me that World Vision brought a water source a mile away from her house. It's still far, but takes off in a ton of time from that original walk. And I asked her, what has clean water really done for you? How has it changed your life? And she said, I'm going to become a lawyer. And I told her that was amazing. Yeah, but in my head I was thinking, I was a little naive, and I thought, didn't ask what you want to be when you grow up. I said, how has clean water changed your life? And her mom saw that I was a little confused, stepped in and said, now that Grace doesn't have to spend hours each day going to get water, she can go to school. She wants to become a lawyer so she can help others in our community. And that answer absolutely rocked me, as this little girl had nothing by her standards. I mean, absolutely nothing. But she was thinking of the ways that she could give back to her community because of people here in America, people just like you, saying yes to a new challenge, stepping outside of their comfort zone and taking on the Chicago Marathon for Clean Water Projects. And I know you can all get behind that cause but are still scared of the physical challenge of training for a marathon. That is okay. 
Uh, we've had 25,000 people run with Team World Vision. 70% of those, 70% had never run a 5K in their lives before. We are not a group of runners. We are not setting any records. We are the back of the packers, the people that want to challenge ourselves into something new and experience life change here and abroad. So if you have any interest in this, I mean any, we are going to have a short info session down here right after the service, just a five to 10 minute meeting to walk you through what some of the details, uh, what it would look like to join us. Coming to that info session does not commit you, just coming to find out more and to see if this might be for you. Uh, so in a minute, we're gonna take a look at the video, this video, but you're probably gonna have two voices in your head. The first is going to be really loud, and it's going to be yelling at you and say, get back in the box. You need to stay in the box. This is not for you. The second is going to be a little quiet whisper saying, you can do this. You could run the Chicago Marathon to benefit kids like Grace all over the world. And I hope you listen to that soft little whisper just long enough to come to the info session right afterwards. But take a look at this video, and then we'll see you down front. In 2006, one man heard a divine whisper that he could help the most vulnerable kids in the world by running marathons. So he said yes. He felt God ask him to invite others into the same vision, so he did. Many people felt scared of the unknown. Fear prevailed, and they said no. But many people pushed through that fear, and they said yes. The first year, a hundred people said yes. The next year, 400 said yes then 1,000, then 2,000. As people said yes to new challenges and to changing the lives of kids and communities in Africa, their own lives started to change in drastic ways. I started this year, this is my first year. I have only been out of a wheelchair for two years now. In the beginning I was like, mm, my knees, I got too much weight, mm, hold on. But I stuck with it. And I just went all in. I thought, I'm 55, why not? Bev did it at 60, I'll do it at 55. <laughs> this has really brought me back, helped me recommit my life to the Lord, but uh, also to those less fortunate. And plus, the goal of like bringing clean water, that, like that's beautiful. So I was like, this is something I really want to do. We really did a lot of training, just the two of us. And it was such a bonding moment of yeah. that, that time when you, your, your strength is faltering and the person next to you carries you through it. Well, I've lost 75 pounds through this. And I couldn't imagine my seven-year-old having to go run and get water for our family. So that's what keeps me motivated and focused. I plan on running a marathon every single year until I die. Whoa! We'll see how that happens or how that goes. Over the last 10 years, over 25,000 people have joined Team World Vision and they just keep saying that magic word, yes. Every one of those yeses also represents kids in Africa who get to say yes to life, yes to health, yes to an education, yes to hope. Hundreds of thousands of kids. Every movement, every revival, every revolution in the history of mankind has begun because someone said yes. They are yes people. We are yes people. You are one too. As long as there are children in this world without clean water, we will continue saying yes. I want to invite you to stand with me. If you need prayer for anything, there's a team of people who will be up front and they would love to pray with you about anything that you're facing, any fear that you're facing, or any other issue that you have. We can pray for healing. 
uh, emotionally or physically, anything that you need, they, they'll be happy to do that. Um, if you want to join that, I've run the Chicago Marathon for Team World Vision. I highly recommend it. I have a back issue. I'm going to try this year. I've got an issue. I'm honestly scared, but I'm going to go sit in the meeting. So I'd love it if you join me over there and, um, and check it out, okay? So we're going to leave you with a blessing. And uh, you'll see people around you holding out their hands. It's their way of receiving that blessing. If you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, that's okay too. Receive this blessing. May you know the love of God for you. He loved you first. He loved you when you didn't even know that he loved you. May you know that because of that love, you are now sent to love him in return, to love the people he loves so much, and to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody. Tell them you love them. See ya.